Welcome to the Discussion Perspectives, Pandemic and IT Modernization, sponsored by AT&T. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. My guest today is Ryan Cody, the Transportation Department's Chief Information Officer. Ryan, welcome back to the discussion. Always great to uh, talk to you. Thank you, Jason. Happy to be here. Today, we're talking about IT modernization during the pandemic. Now, Federal News Network is surveying several agency CIOs about how they're improving their technology over the last few months and going forward. So that's where we're going to start, Ryan. Uh, discuss how you all at Transportation has mo have modernized your network and services over the course of the last seven months as the pandemic took hold, remote working. Uh, you, you, you and I have talked a little bit before, and, and you have uh, just a, a tremendous story to tell. So I want to start there, and then we're going to talk more about the sense of urgency that it also created. Okay, sure. Yeah, thanks for the question, Jason. Um, like you said, the story of transportation, I think, is a good one, and it really is a testament to the people coming together in a time of urgency and proving uh, that, that we can work well together uh, with a sense of purpose at speed and not sacrifice um, you know, any security um, or, or cut any corners as it relates to you know, configuration or procurement or any of those activities. It's a, it's a story about folks you know, in, the, in the general counsel's office and in the budget office and procurement office and of course the CIO's office uh, coming together sort of seeing the tsunami that was coming, if you will, and realizing we had to take some quick actions. And, and so it's a testament to the people in all those divisions, departments that did that. And, and again, I've mentioned before, and I'll say it again, it's also a testament to our leadership and, and the secretary in, in years ago, uh, realizing we needed a shared services model and bringing the network together across all the modes. And really that consolidation is what made this possible. And so as we brought that network together and collapsed it over the years, we really, we're lucky in many ways that we were, we were at that point where we could flip a switch and do some pretty amazing things. Uh, honestly, if, if we'd have tried this two, three years ago, it would have been a much different outcome, I think. So, you know, again, the, the, the technology was in place. Um, we, we had a fairly robust telework policy already at DOT prior to the pandemic. And so we simply had to expand that capability and we did that by adding, you know, typical VPN licensing and adding VDI capacity in our VDI environment and increasing the bandwidth across all of our connections for what we knew would be the increase in traffic across the network. But then we also really began to look at what new technologies should we acquire, implement, put in place that um, can sustain this for as long as we needed to sustain it, right? And, and honestly, back in March, nobody really knew what was coming or what was going to happen. We, we thought, oh, maybe this will last 30 days, maybe a couple months. Um, I think if we could go back in time and survey ourselves back in March, none of us thought we would still be here in October at maximum telework. And, and now with a very uncertain future, we don't know how much longer this will last. So pretty early on, we, we started to take a look at, okay, what can we do uh, to really make this robust and secure in the event that this is a prolonged experience for everyone. So we, we again, looked at our primary mission applications and where they lived, whether they were on-prem or in the cloud and prioritized accordingly to those applications and, and the work tools that we needed to continue working the mission, right? And those are obvious probably first and foremost, you need email, you know, you need access to data and your shared drives and folders and documents. You need access to the, the modal applications that, especially the ones the public access regularly. And then 
again, we, we said, how can we not only keep these um, available, but increase their, their um, performance while increasing uh, security. So we, we deployed, uh, I don't really want to get into name brands for a variety of reasons, not the least of which I don't want the enemies to know, you know what we're deploying. But we, we deployed a, a CASB solution in the cloud and, and have now locked down a lot of applications, made it, it much easier to connect while at the same time giving us greater visibility and flexibility into who's connecting from when and where and how. Uh, again, um, strengthening our, our cyber landscape by hardening the surface and making it much tougher for our enemies to access. Um, things like SD-WAN solutions, right, are perfect for this scenario. So instead of building a network that's always on and you just keep digging the moat deeper or building the walls higher, now you've got capabilities where you literally can build and deploy, utilize and tear down and throw away network connections through, through SD-WANs. So it's really hard for the enemy to attack you if they don't know where you are, when you are. So these up and down network solutions through SD-WAN products is a great answer to this problem. So when you need to connect, you make a connection to the network, you do your work, you get off, no one ever knew that you were connected. And, and that connection, again, temporary, completely encrypted, almost invisible to the enemy. So we, we've deployed that. And then again, we looked at, at the whole stack from the endpoint to the users all the way into the, to the top of, I always use the OSI model as the reference from physical layer to application layer. We knew now we had a lot of people remotely connecting forever. Most of the devices we issued them and we controlled, but a large number of devices we don't. Whether they're a home computer or a home laptop or even a public computer, sometimes people will work from a variety of places. And with a VDI connection, we know we can make that from almost anywhere, from almost any device. But what we can't control is what that device might have been used for prior to that you know, experience and what may be on that device in terms of threats malware, ransomware, viruses, any of that sort of stuff. So again, we looked at all of those devices and have hardened them with new endpoint solutions. And um, so we think, again, we've, we've made a lot of advances over the last seven months in all of those areas. What we, what we think we know today, again, is this is, this is a, a, a new reality. It's going to be a prolonged environment where most of our workforce will work remotely from a variety of locations, a variety of devices. And our job largely remains the same as it always was, which is to provide our users with the tools they need to be productive to continue the mission of the department. So now we're simply providing those tools in a slightly modified environment and realizing uh, we have 50,000 plus, you know, people coming at us from different directions any given day. And all these connections require uh, the best technologies we can find and acquire Primarily, again, make sure the connection is as anonymous as possible. The enemy can't see it. And then beyond that, if it's visible, we secure it as best we can with cutting edge encryption technologies and secure our cloud environment. So it's been a busy seven months for sure, but in a way it was, it was beneficial. We've always been on a modernization journey, right? And, and a lot of government departments are on this whether you want to call it digital transformation or IT modernization journey, we know we have a lot of legacy debt. We've always been trying to modernize that. And this in a way was fortunate because it really pushed us and forced us to probably leapfrog a little bit of our, our timeline and, and 
what we had planned out a year or two from now, we actually executed in the last seven months. So in, in a way, it's been good for us. I heard a really interesting uh, kind of uh, take on this whole modernization journey uh, the other day. And, and it just kind of connects back to, to something you said um, about timelines and, and pushing forward and executing and with, with a sense of urgency. Generally speaking, people seem to get the value of IT, where in the past you've said, hey, I'm the CIO, this IT is important. They've got, yeah, yeah, just make sure my email works or my laptop works or my cell phone works, or whatever. Now they're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, this IT network thing, if I don't have access working from home, I I'm, I'm useless. And it was a, almost that realization. And not that maybe you had a, a huge uphill battle, but there's always some doubters, some people who have to be better educated. Is it, did the pandemic help educate those people? And, and, and that's how you're able to kind of have that urgency? I think it did, yes. Um, again, as we know just from human nature, when you're forced to, to accept a new reality, your mindset tends to change. And so for people who've been doing things the same way for decades and, and are just used to driving to the office, turning on their computer and going to work, um, yeah, I think we changed a lot of hearts and minds as it relates to the capability of the technologies. Um, and another thing though, we, we learned quickly was, you know, we've, we've always had, we think good tools. We hope we're getting better tools and deploying the most useful tools out there. But a lot of people were not really well versed in those tools or, or, you know, hadn't had a need before to use a shared whiteboard, right. Or, or to share documents online and, and different, different capabilities of these tools. So very quickly, we stood up a, a, a large team of trainers and, and folks where people could access them and say, hey, okay, now I know this is a new reality. I'm forced to connect from home. I'm forced to work in, a, in an online collaborative environment. My team and I are having these meetings, but we're still not maximizing productivity because we need to share documents or we need to work on things collaboratively. So in the early stages, there was a lot of training that had to take place. And, and we found, again, people very eager to learn these new capabilities. When, when you say, oh, really? I can do that online together remotely? We're like, yeah, you can, you can all of you edit documents in real time and see each other's work as it's happening or, or share ideas, again, on a shared whiteboard space or um, you know, share anything you need to. And for a lot of people, I think they were pleasantly surprised that the tools had evolved a lot throughout the years and they hadn't really kept up with the capabilities and now they're excited to learn that there are these capabilities out there. And again, I've seen just this almost an explosion of productivity from a lot of areas of our department because the work-life balance honestly has gotten better. You can't argue that, right? People like being at home. They like having greater flexibility in their schedule and their day. They like a little more freedom. They like being able to, you know, run to the doctor for a quick appointment in the afternoon or run to the vet even to the store or something, you know, or, or take their child somewhere. And, and they realize they can do that now and still be productive and be at home. So with this greater work-life balance, we found a greater sense of, you know, uh, happiness, just sort of general happiness in our people. And so they want to fully learn these tools, maximize the capability of these platforms so they can stay at home, right? And, and stay productive because they, they kind of like this new reality. 
and for me, again, I, I've said this before in other places, I think the workplace has changed permanently and forever. I, I think we'll never go back exactly to the way things were. And people are excited about that. They're excited about proving that they can be just as productive, if not more productive, remotely. Uh, and the tools provide that opportunity. So it sounds to me like a lot of what you did and, and are doing is sustainable, is ensuring your network is ready for whatever next surge there is, whether it's it's the next set of technologies that will help productivity and collaboration or just you know the continued you know 90 pro, 95 98% telework. Yes, yes, that's that's for sure. Uh, and particularly again back to the network specifically uh, and I'll use layer 1 or layer 1 2 3 when we when we increased everything back in March we sort of bumped the ceiling if you will of everything we had we took everything we had and we maxed it out and we realized we probably don't want to run this environment at that level forever so in in addition to acquiring all the new tools we also accelerated our our normal upgrade path on the network hardware so we jumped a generation ahead and we're actually going to be ripping and replacing a lot of our hardware to get us to a point where we could scale again if we had to and we're getting on the latest generation of, of everything whether it's switches or firewalls and and giving us an even greater capacity so no one really wants to run up against the ceiling um, for a prolonged period of time. So again, what we had planned two years out as a, as a major network upgrade, because then end of life would have dictated we do that. We moved it up and we're in the process now of building, literally ripping and replacing physical hardware, building a real fast, secure network of the future. All right. That gives us something to talk about in the next segment, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the discussion perspectives, pandemic and IT modernization sponsored by AT&T on federal news network. Agencies use the urgency of the pandemic to make the kind of progress around IT modernization rarely seen in the past 20 years. In the ebook Perspectives, Pandemic and IT Modernization, sponsored by AT&T, CIOs and technology executives from civilian agencies and AT&T tell their pandemic success stories and how it's setting their IT modernization and digital transformation journeys up for future success. To download Perspectives, Pandemic and IT Modernization, go to Federal News Network, search AT&T. Welcome back to the discussions, perspectives, pandemic and IT modernization sponsored by AT&T on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Ryan Cody, the Transportation Department Chief Information Officer. Ryan, before break, you just started telling us about kind of looking forward a little bit. The fact is, uh, you know, you've probably maxed out your network at one point back in March. Now you're looking at how to accelerate and upgrade, rip and replace a lot of hardware, get to the point where you could scale again if you had to. Let's talk about that a little bit and, and how does that fit into your broader IT modernization goals? And of course, if we talk network upgrades, we got to talk enterprise infrastructure solutions, EIS contract program, because that is another big area that a lot of agencies are using to continue to move to things like SD-WAN, which you mentioned earlier. So just give us a sense, where do you, where do, what, what does the next six to 12 months look like? Yeah, thanks Jason, that's a great question. Um, in addition to the, to the hardware upgrades, and, uh, and sort of a re-architecting of, of pieces of the network. As you mentioned, EIS plays a, a big part in that. And um, I don't really follow where the other agencies or departments are in government, but I, I think we're okay. I think we're on track. Um, I think if, if you watch or you know, read the street or you know, look online, you'll see that we did recently award the EIS uh, contract to AT&T. 
and we're very uh, happy with that partnership right now. Um, even, even pandemic aside, I had five executives from AT&T in my office last week in DC and myself and the deputy CIO and, and our network team, we all sat down for over an hour and we talked about um, the future of the EIS contract and, and the solution and what it brings to the department and the need uh, for it to be executed in a timely fashion, you know, without uh, errors or mistakes or downtime, things like that. So we're, we're very excited about this, this new opportunity. You know, we think the, uh, the work done by GSA for all the EIS providers is a benefit to government as a whole, you know, it, it gives us a better opportunity to, uh, to build out a bigger, faster, more robust, more secure network. Um, and, and without a, a lot of the headache of, you know, constantly recompeting these things or, or worrying about who has the latest and greatest. We, we let GSA do all the heavy lifting. Now we get to partner with, with, you know, their chosen providers. Again, in our case, we like AT&T for this. They've been a partner of ours now for, for many years. And uh, we, think, we think we're gonna execute this ahead of schedule, hopefully. Um, again, not super familiar with the deadlines that, that have come from GSA or the Hill or you know, saying you'll get to this by a certain date, but, but I'm vaguely familiar with, with some of the goals in mind for, for GSA as it relates to all of government departments. And again, we think we're gonna bring this ship into port well ahead of schedule. It's, I, I have to laugh just a little bit uh, that you, when you say I'm not really familiar with the deadlines, uh, I can help you out with those if you'd like. I, I, I've been writing a lot about the deadlines. Sure. <laughs> you, you, got, you, you have about a, you know, a little bit over a year or so to uh, two years to get this done. So don't worry, you got, you got time. Um, interesting when you talk about looking forward to upgrades and looking forward to um, uh, you know, re-architecting the network, that's going to open the door to a lot of new capabilities as well. You mentioned SD-WAN earlier. How is this network piece kind of the, the foundation for what you, for your strategy, for your goals, looking forward again, 6, 12, 18 months from now, whether or not you're in this role, somebody will be, and somebody will be obviously continuing to, to move the ball forward. Sure. Yeah, it remains a critical piece of the puzzle, right? Um, even with the proliferation of everything mobile and with the, with the somewhat still out there promised um, benefits of 5G networks, um, at the end of the day, everyone in this business knows that the most important part of the puzzle is getting the application to the user. And that application is, is writing a, a wired network somewhere, right? A hard network, layer one. There are data centers all over the globe and, and even our own internal data centers where these applications reside, where the data resides. Um, and that connection is made to, to an application somewhere on a terrestrial based network. And again, until we launch data centers in space, I suppose, and start writing Starlink, um, we're faced with the reality that this data is a terrestrial based uh, network. And we're probably writing, you know, someone's 10 gig fiber to and from data centers out to the endpoints. And then when you get to the cloud, again, you're taking a route somewhere that's not mobile, right? Or wireless. Uh, again, lots of wireless, of course, out there, lots of mobile, lots of 5G promises. But um, for the most part, this network re remains a hard wired connected network, terrestrial based, whether it's copper or fiber. And, and that's, that's the path to the, to the mission. So our job is to make sure that path 
is, is large and robust and secure and always available to our users. It's an interesting uh, idea here. So let's pull on that string a little bit about that path to the users, to the mission, to the, to the citizens even. Walk me through kind of how you're ensuring that your technology strategy is taking into account all those citizen services, all, all those customer needs. What, what have you done to bring in the customer into the discussion more? What have you done to, if you will, to take a step back and say, okay, what's our user experience, user-centered design, all, all, the, all the cool buzzwords? Sure. Well, there's a lot of activities that are going on currently. A lot of work has been done already. Um, one of the most important ones probably is we're in the middle of and, and mostly done, in fact, with bringing all of the Department of Transportation web applications into a, in a single platform. So um, we have uh, roughly 1,000, 1,100 or so public-facing websites that are customer-focused, customer-based, right? Whether it's truck drivers or pilots or, uh, you know, people wanting to get a drone license and different things. We have a lot of external public facing websites. And over the years, those were always handled locally in the modes. And so we've taken all of the department websites, brought them into a single unified platform and secured it first and foremost, make sure it's, it's safe um, and encrypted at every level. And, and then we're in the midst of upgrading all of those websites to be, you know, just compliant, first of all, with all with all HTTPS and different things like that. We've made them, um, you know, responsive to, to mobile devices, whether it's trying to improve the UI, UX interface, things like that. Again, we know we have a lot of customers that come at us from a lot of different devices and, and a lot of different ways. So we want to make sure that, that every website we deploy is responsive in the best possible way. Um, and then again, we're constantly building new ones as well because we're getting new requirements, deploying new capabilities. And so again, we're making sure that when we deploy now, it's, it's deployed in the latest, greatest uh, platform with all the, the uh, you know, what's best for the, for the public. Um, and then at the same time, we have a lot of internal stuff too, right? We provide service to, uh, to the 50,000 plus internal DOT employees. So whether it's, uh, you know, health benefits or, or time systems or, you know, different things like that. We also have a lot of internal facing applications that we need to make sure are always up. Um, you know, one of the big things we've done, you know, just to ensure that that robust posture is, again, by moving some things to the cloud and begin to replicate them, we now have multiple instances of these same applications, all virtual, of course, deployed across the country. So we, we did an assessment a few years ago and looked at a lot of these what were what we call single points of failure, right? You know, of course what that is. So a lot of these applications resided in one place only, or they might've been in a, either a government data center or, or a public disk or even in the cloud, but they were one of one. And so we've had to scale out these applications. We replicated them across multiple data centers and just make sure now that we've got multiple paths to, to multiple instances. So even if we experience either an outage on a network or an outage in the data center, that traffic can be rerouted and these things have greater uptime than they've ever had. I think that is something that a lot of agencies are seeing now because what I've heard recently is we used to have 4,000 sites as an example, you know, offices and, and people out there. Now for in, in DOT's case, as an example, you have 50,000 sites because each person, each employee is their own site. So 
if they, you know, it's one thing to go to your office in Denver or your office in, in, you know, San Antonio or whatever and, and get it. But if you're at home and you have, there's an outage th that changes the way you work, that changes so much. Is that, is that a, something that you've looked at your network and said, okay, we can improve through the network? Or is it, as you mentioned, it's, it's a decision you made to move these applications into more of a virtual environment. So they live in multiple places. They collect, you can bring the data back or, or, you know, do the requests for the information. Is, is that, I guess the question is, um, is that virtual environment something that, that came because of the pandemic or is it something you're on that path already? Yeah, we were, we were on that path already. Um, I would say, again, when we, when we identified the single points of failure, these single instances out there, we said, okay, we've got to, we've got to replicate these, make multiple instances so we can ensure better uptime. We don't want outages. But we really did that from a uh, uptime perspective or a DR perspective in some cases where we didn't want single instances, single points of failure. And we didn't take a hard look at where we put those copies, for instance. And post-pandemic, now we've gone back and taken a harder look at that and said, you know what, it makes sense for us to adjust some of these instances geographically again. So we, we, we can, and with the cloud, of course, with different providers in the cloud, it, that's fairly easy. We can specify where instances of our applications can reside. So we have really spread them across the country. Now we have, we have a lot of stuff. We moved out West. We have, you know, big footprints in Oklahoma city and, and Colorado and places like that. And, and so we did take another look at that. So it makes more sense for us to spread these out and give people different paths to these applications but also locate a lot of them closer to where they are. So latency is lower, response times are better, and they ought to have a better user experience. You know, if, if they're living in the mountains of Colorado and they're riding, you know, their satellite connection or, or Comcast or Verizon, whatever their connection is, we can give them a little better experience even than having to come all the way to the East Coast to hit a data center. Ryan, we were just out of time. So just uh, maybe in 30 seconds or less, give me a sense that as a service model, a very popular, uh, model that we're seeing across a lot of agencies or even managed services. Is that something you're starting to consider? Or does that play a role in this network modernization, this IT modernization effort? It does, certainly. Um, and I tell vendors all the time and I get, you, you know, you can imagine a hundred calls or emails a week, people trying to sell the department things. I, I tell people all the time, you have to be flexible and you have to give me a solution that solves a problem for me first and foremost, but give me something that is subscription-based, something that I can get in and out of if I need to, if something better comes along or if we have problems. I think, again, the future more and more will be, has to be as a service, which is, you know, we know sort of an anathema to the, the vendors, a lot of people in DC, because everyone, and this is not just government, it's public too. You want to get somewhere and you want to get sticky and you want to stay forever and, and be a good partner and, and get revenue for a decade, which is fine strive for that and you will get that if you prove that your solution is the best but it really also has to be presented as a service to us and as long as the service is good solves problems for us um, it's absolutely a, a viable and i think growing uh solution moving forward everything today is as a service all right well very good great advice ryan we could talk so much longer but unfortunately we're out of time for today so let me thank my guest ryan cody the transportation department chief information officer ryan it's always a pleasure to talk to you thank you jason same i'm jason miller and you've been listening to the discussion perspectives 
Pandemic and IT Modernization, sponsored by AT&T on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search AT&T. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Perspectives, Pandemic, and IT Modernization, sponsored by AT&T on Federal News Network.